Hello and welcome to the Navy Blue Corner. I'm Ian and the Blues have beaten the Saints by 19 points to extend the winning streak of seven games in a row. It's unbelievable and it kind of feels weird to say after I guess we beat the Pies last week, but I think this win against the Saints is probably the best win we've had this season. And like, I want to start this episode by apologizing for the delay in getting this podcast out. To be honest, I've been pretty run down with the flu. And as I said on Twitter, I basically lost my voice during that Paddy Dow goal. And I've only just kind of got it back. As you can hear, it's not the best, but I'm going to do my best to get through this episode. And I wasn't exactly sure when I'd be able to record. So there's no guests this week. It's a solo pod. But in a way, I'm kind of keen just to talk to you guys, not have to worry about asking questions and sorting all that out. And looking at this game, I guess the best way to go through it and to break it down is to go through it quarter by quarter and and really, because that sort of tells the tale of this game. So let's get started. First quarter, going into this game, we have the outs, McGovern, no Chera. You're kind of worried I guess, in a sense of how are we going to do it? How are we going to beat St. Kilda, a team that we tend to struggle against in the recent years? They always bring their best against us. And what? Four games to go. We need two wins to really cement finals. St. Kilda also battling for finals. There's a lot happening, a lot going into this. St. Kilda have a tough run. They're really going to see this game as a must win. We need this as a must win. We've got the injuries. Can we overcome it? And to be honest, kind of thought we started well. We started all right. We were looking to take the game on. We were moving it fast. We just kind of struggled a little bit with execution. There was a bit of lack of composure, particularly inside 50, moving the ball pretty well, but just weren't getting that end product. Weren't putting our dominance on the scoreboard. We're a little bit fumbly, but I think overall, at first 10, 15 minutes, I thought we had a bit more control of the game. We set up well defensively. St. Kilda continually turned the ball over. We seemed to have guys out in space who were causing them quite a lot of issues and rebounding well. It was just the ball use inside 50 was poor and we weren't putting our ascendancy on the scoreboard. And, and you know, St. Kilda, I thought they got a few goals off the back of those those quick transitions, a bit of turnover. They didn't maybe earn them as much as I thought we maybe had. And they kind of get that bit of the lead and we work back into it, get a couple of goals ourselves. And we're really down three points at quarter time. Probably felt like we were the better team. We just needed to maybe be cleaner. The tackle pressure maybe wasn't there as well when you look at, at that first quarter. A little bit not what we've maybe seen the past few weeks. And, and you know, I wasn't looking at, at that quarter time ridiculously negatively. I sort of thought, look, we're not playing our best footy. The, the pressure isn't as high as maybe we've seen it. bit fumbly. haven't looked amazing, but, you know, three points down. We've played the better footy. Let's go on and, and win it. And if I can maybe mention one player that I thought was a standout in that first quarter, it's Zach Fisher. Not spoken about him in the pregame. Comes in first game since we've had this win streak, since we've started to play some good football. And he honestly looked really smooth. He was playing off halfback, which 
I jotted down and noted that as soon as the game started going, okay, he's playing a defensive role. This will be interesting. And yeah, it was someone that I actually really, really liked to start things. He was one that was kind of showing that spark for us and was the disposal leader at quarter time. And I enjoyed what I saw from that first quarter and going on. I thought he definitely was a pivotal player for us because that, that other big storyline going into the game was we've lost Gov. And it's not just the defensive side that you're losing with the McGovern, but it's that rebound, that guy from defense that is constantly looking to move the ball forward. So I kind of liked the idea of seeing Fisher there, someone that we know loves to attack the game, loves to get that ball moving. So it was a kind of smart maybe thing, knowing we don't have a boy down there to let Marchbank be the key defender and let Fisher be the one to move the ball. And I thought at least for the first quarter, Looked pretty smart, but second quarter starts and wow, Saints pressure lifted. They were really, really good. It was okay in the first, honestly, for them, but it went to another level in the second and they made it really hard for us. They Not only was their pressure big, but they had that outnumber in defense. They It was clear their big tactic, Ross's big tactic for that game, nullify Charlie Kerno had that extra number in defense, flooded the back line, and it really stifled our ball movement, I thought. We, we sort of we tried to continue to play our way. It just wasn't working. We were struggling with the pressure. Execution was worse. We were more fumbly than we were in the first quarter. There was more turnovers. We were rushing. We, we sort of weren't able to deal with the pressure that the Saints were kind of giving us. We overpossessed the ball when we were under that pressure. It looked like we were trying to work for that perfect play to carve through the pressure. It's not going to work. It led to a turnover and really struggled to just control the possession, control the tempo of that game. And yeah, to the credit to the, to the Saints, they honestly just didn't give us any time. And when we won the ball, they pounced on us, caused the turnover, and gee, they punished us on the turnover, particularly putting that on the scoreboard. Yeah, all credit to them. We really struggled to deal with it. And, and from the outside, it really... I think if, you, if you're not really focusing on that game, it could look like, gee, Carlton, it's the Carlton we've seen early in this season where we weren't winning games of football. And I didn't feel like we were really dominating that contested side of things. We were still getting our hands on the ball, but we weren't getting it clear. And maybe there's a part of that where we weren't getting the clean hands, weren't spreading as well, weren't dealing with the pressure. But it, it just felt like our clearances still weren't as impactful as maybe they have been. And, and we just couldn't get that forward craft going. You know, we couldn't get Charlie involved. We were struggling. We, he's been that focal point since Harry's gone down and he still managed to dominate games, but it was clear that Ross's plan was stop Charlie Kerno at all costs. We're playing defensive, as I mentioned with that, with that out number and Wilkie in battle, they were hanging off him. It was two or three guys at all times. And every time we kicked it to him, they were getting the intercept and it allowed St. Kilda to, to roll off that turnover and catch us out in a way that we maybe haven't really dealt with since the earlier part of this season. And we were just getting burned on that turnover, weren't able to get that space we normally saw in Ford 50. St. Kilda were just dominating and we're really playing into their hands. And it did feel that anytime we were trying to get anything happening, there was always something that was breaking down in the chain, whether we'd missed the handball, missed the kick or we were out, but we fumbled and, and 
or everything worked well up until that final kick inside 50, and that would be what let us down. There was just somewhere a lack of composure, somewhere we were struggling in the chain. And, yeah, I guess just the big part of that second quarter, that Saints were just so clinical, so clinical. They put it on the scoreboard. We didn't it in that first quarter. They did in the second, and they sort of blew us away. And it was a challenge because, you know, things clearly weren't working for us out there. Out there, We were having to do it tough for once because in this kind of stretch of six weeks, these six wins, things have kind of gone pretty well for us. We've, we've got the ascendancy in parts of the games. For most of them, we've kind of dominated the contest. It's the first time we were really challenged. And that was kind of the really frustrating thing because if you look at it on the flip side, it seemed to happen so easy for the Saints out there. And I know sitting there at halftime, I wasn't super objective and able to just see things clearly and go, okay, it's down to a few things. If we sort that out, we'll fix it. I was incredibly negative. And I think the sickness was a big part of that. And I'd love to know what you guys were feeling at halftime. This is the time I do that do that plug. If you're watching on YouTube, drop it in the comments, please, because it was interesting. This, we hadn't had this in a long time. This was the first real hurdle for us. And you can say last week against Collingwood was the hurdle because it was such a big opposition and maybe it was Port Adelaide. But we were challenged in those games, but it wasn't like this. We still managed to find ways to get things going for us. But this was a half a footy where we're down by 22 points and we're struggling. And I want to know how you guys were feeling what you saw of that game in that first half and what you saw change in the second. And if you're not on YouTube, you listen to this in podcast form, get us on the socials at Navy Blue Corner, DM us, tweet at us, whatever it needs to be, comment on a post. I want to know your thoughts and where you were feeling at halftime and if it was similar to me because, as I said, I had the flu. I almost didn't go to the game. I actually I went to the game with my mum and before the game, I called her up. And said, hey, I'm feeling like trash, sinus, all of that nonsense. Just, is my sister free? I bought the tickets, but I, I just don't know if I should go. I'm feeling really trash. And she couldn't go. I manned up, pumped myself full of cold and flu just to get to the game. Had a coffee as well, which felt bizarre at the, at the footy. The coffee just doesn't feel right to me. But I, I tried everything to get myself up and about to sit there at halftime after witnessing that. And going, God, just questioning everything. Just thinking, is this it? You know, we've finally been challenged. Things aren't going our way. Is this too many injuries? You start looking into everything. And, and maybe I was just going so negative because of that sickness. I was also feeling that. that. And I don't want to just keep harping on about my experience, but it was like I could feel every part of the illness. You know, nose is running. All of a sudden, my throat starts to hurt. All of a sudden, I've got a headache. It was like every single part of this illness was just multiplied because of the football. And my mum even asked me, she's like, oh, apart from, apart from, you know, the football, how are you feeling? And I was like, I can't separate the two. They're the same thing. How I am is dictated by these idiots on the field. And I actually, I, I turned to a mate. Uh, he's not a Carlton supporter. He's a doggy supporter. So big shout out to Chris because he he was trying to talk some sense into me at halftime. And, and being a dog supporter, he needed Carlton to win this game of football. 
and, you know, 22 points down. This is his message. And, and looking back, my God, I'm glad he was there. I couldn't take it in at the time, but his message was incredible because he, this was his analysis at halftime. I'm biased, taking the emotion away. He was saying, mate, Saints have played one good quarter. You know, and his big emphasis was, look, Saints have bought the pressure, but it's this manic pressure. It is not sustainable for the rest of this game. The pressure was clearly impacting, you know, it was impacting us, our decision-making and execution. But his big thing was, look, if we're just, if Carlton is able to play tempo footy, control the ball, control the pressure, he reckons we'll run over top. Saints is like the only way they're scoring at the moment is off turnover. If we tidy up the disposal, deal with the pressure, their scoring's done. They're set up too defensively. It's not working. They've got the one behind the ball, which allows us to have the extra at the contest, or maybe we've, we put the extra behind the ball and fight fire with fire that way. We can, it almost plays into our strength because we are that contested side. And he was like, all we have to do is hold a bit more of that possession Get it under our control. That'll reduce the pressure, which helps the decision-making. We get on top. And, and the other little note, he was like, the, we need deeper entries because we're kind of bombing it to the arc. We're not getting that ball f- further in the field. And it's just taking away the forwards and, and the, the pressure that they've been able to apply in this last six weeks. You're not getting it here because of where you're putting the ball inside your forward half. And so get the ball deep repeat entries, get the forward stoppages. And, you know, the message was simple. He was like, if I'm bossy, keep playing our game, retain possession, we'll win. And and he was very confident that if we do that, we run over the top of them. And I find that funny because at halftime, I was like, no, we're playing horrifically football. Every time we try to make something happen, we're turning it over. But in hindsight, you know, I watched that game back. Even though we were turning it, over, we're clearly struggling with the pressure. The decisions that we were making seemed like the right ones. It was the execution wasn't there. You know, that's the right handball to make, but we've missed it or we've fumbled. And all of a sudden, invites the pressure and Saints tackle numbers were huge that quarter, in the, particularly in the first half. So if we're able to tidy up the disposal and deal with the pressure, not maybe rush it as much, we're making the right decisions and we should run over the top of them. But I just couldn't see that at halftime. So I want to know how you guys thought, because my mate, Chris, man, he, he really, really nailed it. And, you know, my issue was I just felt a lot didn't go our way, but I'm starting to read his messages more, trying to tell myself it's all going to be okay. Because again, I'm just in this negative mind space, but I start to look at the stats and this is maybe what kind of, turned me a little bit and got a bit more positivity headed my way in the second half. We were down by nine disposals. We were level on contested possessions, down by nine uncontested, <clears throat> which I probably expected quite a lot more. We are winning the clearances overall by six, only down one in center clearances. And that's probably where I saw the big growth area. If we win a few more center clearances, that gets the ball a bit quicker. Maybe Charlie gets a bit more separation. And weirdly, level on inside 50s at 25 each. We're winning marks by one, <laughs> down by marks inside 50 by two. These stats are so, so close. The big one that we were down in was tackles, though, down by 19. We only had 33 tackles in that half. They had 52. 
And that was probably the big reason I felt so down because what had built so much of what was going well for us over the last six games was that everything seemed built off the pressure, built off the work rate. It was a big component of our last six weeks. I didn't see that in that first half as much. And credit to the Saints for bringing it from them. And, and then going off what Chris was saying, my mate, he's going, mate, they're just scoring off turnover. Don't worry about everything else. And I watched the game back, got the stats from Fox footy and scores from turnover. We had two goals, three, 15. They had six goals, 137. Look at stoppages. We had one goal, one, seven points. They had one goal, nothing, six points. So clearly it was a turnover game for them. They had the defensive guy sitting back the out number and they were just looking to rebound quickly or off turnover at all costs and play that defensive brand to stop Charlie. And it worked for them in that first half. We were struggling with the tackle pressure, but is that sustainable? And you look as well, conversion, goals in, goals per inside 50, we're going at 12%. They're going at 28 And that was kind of making the whole difference. And seeing the stats, talking to my mate Chris, from then on, I was starting to maybe get a little more positive leading into the third quarter. But I'm still not 100% convinced, and I'm needing a goal. I'm going, let's just let's get something to start this quarter, get the crowd back involved. What can we do? Where's this spark coming from? All of a sudden, TDK slams it on his boot. Absolute magical goal out of nothing. And I'm going, okay, maybe this is the spark we needed. But Saints go back, they get one. And it feels a bit more of the same because of that. You know, a couple of turnovers, we're still a bit scrappy. We have a bit more of the ball, but it was still stifled. St. Kilda is still not allowing us to get the game moving. For me, in that third quarter, the TDK goal wasn't the spark. What sparked it all and bought the energy was the Motlop goal because... Just before that, there's a couple of non-calls from the umpire or a couple of calls that don't go our way and the crowd starts to get up and I was pretty silent sitting there for most of the day. I don't feel well and that got me up. I'm going, no, that's bullshit. You know, what are these What are these calls not going our way? These umpiring, the umpiring, honestly, both ways was horrific and I've never seen so many, like, they, they made a decision or they didn't make a decision and then they flipped it the other way or... They've clearly said free kick this way. And then all of a sudden, no, it's gone to the opposition. And I, I don't like blaming the umpires for anything. I never do. They, It's not them that, that control the game and who wins or anything like that. But it was really poorly umpired. And it probably helped us in a way. We needed a spark from something. And when the crowd start to get annoyed that the, the calls aren't going their way, it brings you back into it. And then not long after that, Motlop. Motlop out of nothing. He just wins the ball, runs through the middle. And all of a sudden, because they're playing such a deep line, they're, they're worried about Charlie. All of a sudden, this space just is created. They're running back. They're running back. And Motlop just goes, nah, I'll dob this from 50. And it just felt like, okay, here we go. They're giving us the space outside this arc they want us to go deep maybe this is something that we can actually utilize and do that going forward and i think you saw in the last quarter there was this if we are able to move the ball with speed from outside the contest there's space there on the edge of this arc to absolutely use and i think you saw that maybe there's something here for our midfielders and those players higher up 
to use going forward. And But even just at this space, at this time, Motlop gets that goal. I'm going, okay, we're back in this. If we can just be a bit more composed, start winning the ball at the contest, this is it. We can win this. We are well and truly back into this game. We haven't been playing good football, but we're not out of it. And all of a sudden, if, if we just start these little things, it can all happen for us. And then the next one, Charlie Curno to find Owies for his goal. I mean, that kick was out of this world. You know, he's struggling to get into the game himself. Always he's trying to be this deep marking option for us, but he's three on one. He's struggling. He's getting held. Umpires not giving him any decisions. Suddenly pushes up the ground, gets a big mark. Wheel and goes, and genuinely one of the most beautiful, perfect kicks I've ever seen. Sets it up for Owies, and and those are the little moments. Like, not many players can hit that field kick firstly, but just the selfless thing there for Charlie knowing, look, i got to get into this game. I've got to push up, and I'm going to use what I can to get the rest of the team going around me. And he didn't have many moments, but, I mean, that one was special. And, you know, eight points down, three-quarter time you do start to think we're coming. Here we are. We're going because Saints aren't creating anything anymore. They're playing this defensive brand of football. Their pressure wasn't as big as it was in the second. If we can just start to get some big clearances in the last, it's 100% out. So that's how I was thinking it at three-quarter time. The, the momentum started to go our way. And what the clearances, I jotted down, they were 12-2 to two in that third quarter. And... I haven't mentioned him. I don't know how I've gotten this deep into this podcast without mentioning Nick Newman, but I thought he was massive defensively for us in that third quarter because we started to get some ascendancy, I think, forward of the ball. Things started to slowly move our way. But every time St. Kilda got the break when they were moving the ball themselves, mate, it was incredible. The amount of intercepts this man had, the amount of last line of defense stops that he had, I just thought he was enormous and not only that, but touched on Fisher earlier, having to be someone to generate the movement out of our defense with Garv not being there. And, and Newman was so vital to that. Not only was he intercepting the ball and, and making those defensive stops, but what he was able to do and step up, which it feels ridiculous to say Nick Newman had to step up because his season so far has been ridiculous. He's potentially going to win our best and fairest. He's been that good for us. That's not a ridiculous thing to say. Should be in that All-Australian discussion. But for him to then take another step up in the level that he's been playing this year for us and just taking more responsibility and getting that ball moving for us. Nick Newman was everywhere in that third. He was exceptional. And it was these little things were starting to get me excited. And I just went, if we can just get that first clearance, that first goal, I believe you, Chris. We will run over the top of the Saints. And I mean, that last quarter, wow. And the chips were down and we needed to get the win. We needed to make it happen. It was just everything you could have asked for. Intensity lifted when it mattered. I thought our tech tackle pressure was up. We were hunting. There was a level of desperation from every single one of them out there. It wasn't just, you know, leaders stepping up, which I think they did throughout that game. I haven't touched on Weedering, who I thought was exceptional. Cripps still doing those little things, winning the clearances. I think he had like, I think he had seven or nine clearances for the game, which is absolutely ridiculous. They were stepping up, but everyone was. 
there was the uns- so many unsung heroes in this game and in this last quarter when we needed to lift, we did. And I think what impressed me the most, honestly, was that it looked like there was a real belief from the players out there. There was a determination that, mate, we don't lose this game. Not to this mob. Not again. Not like this. Not this way. Not with what is on the line. You know, we win this game. We're fifth. Potentially, they need to win one more game to nail finals, to lock that up from the last three games. One from three. But if we lose... We're ninth. Now we need to win two from three. The pressure's back on. And not against St. Kilda. You know, this is a team that I was very harsh on Twitter against. And I was, me and Cam were talking in the build-up, but we don't like this team. And I think I truly was able to understand why I don't like this football club. And it's such a weird place. And I'm able to know that it comes from an arrogance of being a Carlton supporter. You know, I was brought up Carlton are the best. You know, and I think everyone gets taught that for whatever team they support, but there was evidence to back it up. Most premierships. Here's, look at them, watched them all. Watched every single videotape we had on every premiership I could possibly watch as a kid. And it was brought into me that Carlton is the greatest. Look at us. We've done everything. We're down at halftime. We come back and win. Look at all these superstars of the game. Look at the crowd. We're the biggest team in Melbourne. But then I grow up. And as I'm able to understand football, we don't win. We don't win anything really in my whole lifetime. There was a little bit of that patch in the 2010s where we're okay playing some finals. But for the most part, we haven't won games of football. And I don't know that Carlton. But that's what I was built up on. And then you look at St. Kilda, I was taught, you know, look, they got one premiership. They're not any good. And I'm looking at this team going, they got no fans. What are they? What is St. Kilda? They don't do anything. And then, you know, throughout my childhood, they beat us. They were actually not too bad. You know, they had a good moment. Fraser Gehrig, Nick Rewalt, kick bags against us every single time. And I grew up knowing that we play St. Kilda, St. Kilda Pumpers. And then they move past that generation, still not able to win a premiership, not able to get that glory. Even when they were shit, they still managed to beat us. And that's what I'm talking about when I'm saying not this way, not again, not against this mob, because it feels like every single time St. Kilda bring their best against us. They could have lost their last four. We could have won a couple of games, but we saw some reason lose against St. Kilda. And that angered me because I look at St. Kilda as what are you? I'm looking up here. Like I still think Carlton are the greatest team in the, in the competition. And you shouldn't exist in this competition. You are Fitzroy to me. You know, that's the arrogance. And that's why I hate them because why are you inflicting so much pain to me? Why are you always bringing this? You shouldn't be doing this. And that's where I was in that last quarter. I was like, no, we can't be doing this again. And and maybe there's a part of the boys that thought that. And they don't want to be staring down the barrel of having to win two of the last three again. They don't want the stress. It's let's get it done now, boys. And that's what impressed me. They lifted. There was a belief to, no, let's dig in, let's grind, let's get this victory. And starts off, Cunningham kicks an absolute worldie from the pocket. It honestly, honestly, when that went in, I was like, we're not losing this. Cunningham doesn't kick that goal in a game that we lose. Not happening. And then <clears throat> I'm losing my voice now. And, and that's what happened. 
at this moment, Paddy Dow. Paddy freaking Dow gets the goal to put us in front. And that, that's where I lost my voice. I was up. There was a roar from the crowd. There was a roar for me. And honestly, as soon as he was streaming into the forward line, there was no doubt in my mind that that was sailing through. Goes in and I'm out. I'm on, on my feet. I'm screaming and I lose my voice. I have nothing left. And honestly, out of all the people to kick that goal to put us ahead, Paddy Dow deserved that. You know, I was so happy for him and gets the standing ovation as he runs to the bench. Little do we all know, Vossi had just before that said he's going to get subbed and he has to change it because he's like, there's no way I can sub off Paddy Dow after that. They'll genuinely be tearing down this stadium if I do it. So I love that. Hearing that from Voss in the presser, I think that that, it shows that he gets it. I think he he understands the fans and he understands that, yeah, nah, you can't drag Paddy Dow after that. And look, thought he honestly started off suspect. He was, he was incredibly fumbly. He had so many almost moments. And much like, I think, us in that first half, it just wasn't working. Whether his disposal just wasn't working, it just wasn't hitting the target, he just wasn't taking the ball, even though he looked good moving out of the contest, he was just fumbling, things just weren't working. Determination, everything we know from Paddy Dow, he just doesn't give up. And 22 disposals, seven clearances, four tackles, four score involvements, gets the goal that brings the house down, deserved it. Big performance from Paddy Dow. Like most, lifted in that second half, lifted in that last quarter when you needed him. Of those seven clearances, I mean, how many were vital movements away from the contest? They were they were good clearances. It wasn't just a hat kick forward. It got us moving. And, and that was the difference that I was talking about in that sort of first half where we were getting clearances, but they just weren't effective clearances. Whereas, big credit to Paddy. I thought he was instrumental in, in that last quarter again. And, you know... We've got the ascendancy. Ed comes on. Like I'm just, I'm just talking about the fun moments in this last quarter. To be honest, Ed comes on. All of a sudden, impacts straight away. Kicks it smartly to the, to the wide side for for Charlie. He's able to bring the ball down. Acres ridiculously strong just to win that ball. Handballs, waits, handballs to Charlie. Charlie's first chance in front of goal. Snaps. The crowd's up and about. We finally get to cheer for Charlie. Finally gets his goal. And it was just a lovely moment. And for me, apart from just those big goals, what I loved again was the desperation moments, the defensive efforts when we needed them in that quarter. And there were so many gang tackles, seven blokes running to tackle and stop and pressure St. Kilda like they did to us in the second. And a couple of those players really want to highlight is uh, our rising star man, Ollie Hollands, was absolutely everywhere, putting his body on the line, 20 disposals, four marks, six tackles. God, this kid is something special. He's he's not the final product. There's still, you know, some things not there, some decision-making that's not perfect, disposal that's not perfect. But God, when he busts his, his, his ass like that all day, running and covering ground, being in the right spot to receive the ball is the main thing. He's got that. The rest you're going to learn. The rest you're going to get with maturity. But, I mean, it's just so exciting. And the fact that he just, for his size to hound and tackle like he does with the six tackles and to, to just put his body on the line and fly back with the flight of the football, it's something special. Credit to Ollie. I just love him. I'm just so happy we've got a player like that in our team. I thought Doherty was strong as always. 
has a couple of chances in front of goal, doesn't get them, but just ran hard all day, tackled, did the grunt work. Someone I, I haven't heard get a mention, someone that I actually thought was really instrumental early in the game when we weren't maybe playing well was George Hewitt. Got a lot of disposals. I don't have his stats in front of me, but him in that first quarter and second quarter, he was the guy extracting, the only one who was clean, who every time he got the ball, he hit the target by foot, hit it by hand, was trying to get things going for us. But everything outside of him seemed to kind of fold. It was fumbly, but he wasn't. And so i got to say big credit to George Hewitt. He's really stood up in, in the absence of our midfield. No Chera, no Walsh, no Kennedy. He stepped up like the player he was last year. And I hope as we start to maybe get some other players back around him, we're just going to see his game lift and we're going to notice him even more. But yeah, big shout out to, to big George Hewitt. Loved his game. Um, and then where are we? Blake Akers. Massive, massive performance from this man against his old club. He copped a bit of shit talk from Marshall earlier in the game. You knew from the way that that Blake has took it, where he's laughing. It was clearly a, a bit of mate's banter in it. But I'm glad that Blake has, was able to have the last laugh and he, he took it on the chin and went, nah, you're not having this. I'm not losing to the Saners. I'm not losing to these boys. And it was enormous. 27 disposals, 11 marks, two goals, five score involvements. And I know meters gained is a stat that people don't like. But 448 metres gained for Blake Akers because they were good metres gained. He was vital in not only moving it by foot, which that stat is going to cover, but the way he was able to be there on the outside when we needed him, go back in defence and pressure and harass, but then also moving to the, the, the actual contested side of the midfield. And that's, that was that goal in that last quarter. Pushes in. Wins the ball in the contest, handballs it out, keeps going, gets it again. And there was a couple of times he did things similar where he was hunting and getting the tackle, but this time gets on the end of it, keeps running, keeps working hard. It's one of the best individual hardworking goals you're going to see this season to seal the game. I mean, that is a bloody chef's kiss. Just mwah, love that from Blake Akers. He's had a bit of an interesting year so far. Had some good games, had some poor games, but... No, you got to take your hat off to Blake Akers in this one. Absolutely massive. And I said it's sort of the, the halftime that it was weird. They had the ascendancy, but the stats were quite even. And I want to kind of compare what the stats were at the first half and what they were for that second half and just what changed and trying to look at it that way. And wow. There's a massive difference. We're down, what, nine disposals in the first half, second half, plus 39. Got the hands on the pill, started to dominate, and look what happened. Dominated the ball, dominated the tempo. My mate was right. It's incredible. Great analysis. I wish I was in a clear mind to understand it at the time and be able to buy in, but I wasn't. And then contested was where I was seeing things. I was like, get more of that contested ball. We'll get things going our way. They were level contested possessions at halftime, second half, plus 15 for us. Uncontested, where Saints had a bit more on the outside, hurting us on turnover. We were negative nine. They were beating us by nine at halftime. 
we ended up winning in the second half by nine. So it turned on its head. Clearances, we were plus six in the first half, but negative one center clearances. Second half, we were plus 18 and plus three center clearances. So really, the contested side stood up. What this brand of football is built on, we lifted. Every single person lifted. And even inside 50s, getting that ball moving, getting the opportunities, they were level at halftime. We were plus 12 in the second half. Massive, massive shift in where we were winning the ball and what we were able to actually do with it. And looking at marks, we were plus one at half in the first half, negative two for marks inside 50. Second half, plus five for marks, plus five marks inside 50. So using it better, being able to get more composed. And the big negative of that first half was the tackles and the pressure that the Saints were able to bring in and what that led us to not be able to do. Negative 19 in the first half, plus two in the second, which is massive. You know, they had 52 tackles in the first half. We had the 33. We were able to turn that around up 29 in the second half to their 27. Really quelled their influence. And it's big. Fossey's first win over Ross. You know, Ross had set up not to lose that game of football. They they set up to just stop Charlie. Um, you know, that was it. Whatever happens, let's not let Charlie Kernow kick goals. They cared more about stopping Charlie than they cared about setting up to win a game of football. And on the flip side, Vossi, he got these boys to believe. It's been a big thing, big focal point of the second half of the season. And, I mean, just credit to Voss, you know, to, to settle, to gain some composure with ball in hand, to keep sticking to this plan, to get that to happen from these boys was massive. It was so pivotal in us winning this game of football. And I, and I thought credit to Voss as well because – our defensive setup stifled the Saints. It was good in that first half, but when you're losing the ball from turnover in such bad positions where you shouldn't be turning it over, you're always going to get burnt. That's the way St. Kilda play. They had that extra number to move. It's their bread and butter. But I just thought that the way that we set up and the way we were able to do it in that second half, you know, they simply could not generate any decent looks at goal except from turnover. And, and that's massive, you know, 22 points down at halftime to come back and win by 19 points to generate seven goals, nine, keep the Saints to one goal, four behinds in the second half. I mean, that is, that's enormous. Any other time, any other year, this Carlton side loses that game. The maturity, I think, that we saw from these boys, you know, it's, it's like something I've never seen before. And look, the question, I hate that I buried this late in the podcast, but the question that kind of remained on this group and on this team this season was, and it was why this game is for me the best game, the best win we've had this season. Was It was how does this team respond when the backs are against the wall? When things aren't going our way, can they find a way to win? Because look, it's, it's hard to question the form we were in and the run of six games in a row, six wins. We've beaten Port, beaten Collingwood, beaten Freo away. And it wasn't just the opposition that, that I guess was the challenge in beating some of those better teams. You know, Collingwood brought it. We were behind in a few of them and were able to get over on top and, and really get that domination. But the issue was in those games, in that run of form, we sort of 
We just managed to play really well. We were controlling the games. We had the lead. We hadn't been behind like this. Even in that Collingwood game, when you, you get your concede the first two to start the contest, we turned it around quickly and we had the ascendancy. Wasn't like that in this game. We hadn't had this kind of challenge for the boys to not be playing their best footy, to struggle when we're under pressure like this. We hadn't had that opposition pressure. We weren't able to put the score on the board when we had the ascendancy trailing at every single break in this match. It's not something that we've had in this form. That was the big question mark. Can we do it? Can we turn it around? Things aren't going our way. And I just think to find a way to come out on top and it's, it's big and it's not just that. There's, there's 20,000 things you can talk about because not only was it the challenge, but we had to do it a different way. We didn't have Charlie kicking seven this week. Charlie kicked one goal against the Saints. They did not allow him any space. And we and it wasn't just Charlie. There was no space inside that forward 50. They really tried to flood that back line and stop our movement inside 50 that had seen us win six in a row. We always were finding options. Charlie was kicking goals and got his goal late. He was almost on finished that game on zero. So we found a different way to do it. And that's why this win was so significant for this group. I've, I've never seen this win of pure grit, determination and, and desperation. I think you could say as well, just across the board, every single one of them pull themselves over the line like this, you know, that was the question. They answered it even with all the injuries. And I don't know how many other questions you can throw at this group before they answer it. Maybe the last question is there's still the pressure of finals. Maybe what happens if they lose a game, do they respond if it gets down to it? And God forbid that we need to win the last game of the season to make finals. Is that the pressure they can handle? But I think you see from this game of football that don't worry about that pressure. That's not what's stopping this group anymore. These boys have got it in them. There is a level of maturity. There's a level of belief that regardless, you can throw everything at them. They've done it. They can do it now. That's what was so impressive. But let me know what you guys thought was impressive because what were your favorite moments? What was the big change for you in that second half? I want to know from you guys. I've spoken for way too long on this by myself. It is a solo pod. I put that on myself. I've done that. I put my hand up for that. But I want to hear from you. Drop it in the comments. Hit us up on the socials at Navy Blue Corn. I'm really keen to hear your thoughts on this game. Was this your favorite game of the season? Was this the big game? What other questions can you throw at this group if they answer them all? How much do you believe that this is the new Carlton? I want to hear it all. And speaking of me talking all by myself, I wanted to bring up a bit of a personal moment from this game because the great man, Nick Webb, Webby, getting a big shout out on this podcast. Um, he was on the fan cams on Blue Abroad on YouTube and then also on the uh, on the Two Passionate Blue Baggers podcast. And, and he was sharing a bit of a story and, and he <laughs> bloody broke me. Thanks for Baz for bringing this to my attention. Um, but it made me think as well. And basically um, Webby was talking about a really amazing moment that him and his dad sort of shared you know we get the ceiling goals we, we start to get over on top of them in that last quarter and when you're celebrating the goals turns to his dad gives him a big hug and you know throughout all the shit we've had this year throughout all the shit you've caught we've copped throughout our lives in the last 20 years you know those are the moments that that are special and i think we can all 
you know, have, we all have those. We all have that at this game of football. And this year's been one of those that we've all struggled with. What are we doing? Why, why do we put so much emotion into this? Why am I doing a podcast about this? Who cares? What does it all matter? Why are we so emotionally invested? And that's it. You know, it, it really made me think and sorry to get personal. Sorry to make this all about me for a second. Um, I know it's my podcast, so it probably is anyway, um, but it feels weird to, to really go here. But it just made me think about football and Carlton and those moments because unfortunately my dad lives in Perth. I live in Melbourne, so I don't get to go to a lot of the games with him. And he's obviously been that real pivotal guy that got me into this football club and I don't get to share those moments as much with him every single week because we just don't get to go to the footy together. We're in different states. And we've had some incredible moments throughout the years when he did live in Melbourne and then even going over to WA. I've spoken about it heaps on the podcast. The Mark Murphy, the sidestep, the banana goal, like that was special. And he's come over for some wins. We had Hawthorne last year, Gold Coast this year. And he's a big one. Shout out to him. Shout out to Lockie as well. Needs to get thrown into this. The guys that were keeping me sane through this lull this year, saying that both my dad and Lockie were very similar and going, it feels like it could just turn like this. All of a sudden, click of a finger and we are good again. And I wasn't necessarily buying in, but those two definitely had that thought. And it just kind of made me think think that and going into Melbourne this week, thinking about Melbourne last year, Dad was over for that game and I think why the Melbourne game almost hurt me more than the Collingwood game was because that was the moment. We're finally back. We're finally back in finals. I can share it with one of the people. It means a lot to me. That that is the reason I support this football club. That's why I'm so passionate about this football club. And that was ripped away from me at the last moment by Melbourne. And it just made me think that I'm a little bit jealous that I don't have that moment in particular. But what I think was so good about this game was I was still able to have that moment because I was able to be there. My mom, who I've gone to so many games of football with, another passionate Carlton supporter. We've had the ups, we've had the downs, going to so many horrific games of football where we've lost by over 100 points and you're sitting there going, trying to pick out any positive, um, a massive shining light in trying to get those positives. And I think just being there at that game, I felt it like Webby and I'm keen to hear what everyone else's moments were and, and, and what their big, you know, emotional moments of this season have been and particularly in this game of football and who they share them with because the Dow goal, the Charlie goal, the Acres goal, you know, I'm up, we're giving her a massive hug and that's what footy's about, man. That's what this is about, whether it's friends, family, partners, whoever it is, strangers even that, those moments, we can all come together and be there with the people that matter, special moments, embrace the person next to us and say, how good is this? We're all sharing this together. And that's what I love about this podcast. Like that is my virtual hug, you know, being able to share these moments with other people. That's what this is all about. And I just thought that, that was an amazing thing, amazing thing from Webby. Find it on the fan cams, find it on the Two Passionate Blue Baggers podcast. I think it's about 10 minutes in that pod. It's touching. It almost made me cry, but that's enough of that random personal story for me. But I, I just want to hear from you guys as well on it because we've gone through the bloody ring of this season and those little things that just make you smile, that make you happy. And, and that's what footy's absolutely 
all about. Massive, massive game. And speaking of hearing from you guys, I've got the listener questions. I've got them here. If you want to get into contact with at with us, head over to Twitter, X, whatever it's being called. I'll still call it Twitter because fuck Elon Musk. Um, but at Navy Blue Corner, links in the show notes, in the descriptions. Twitter t- tends to be the place we ask the listener questions, tends to be the place. Um, that's where we got them this week. And the first one comes in from Tim Gigantor, who says, Saints double team Charlie well all day. We don't have Harry. So how do we get around this issue with no Harry if this happens in the future? Great question. Great, great question. And probably a few things we can do. One you think is, do, do we like with that always goal? Do we try to push Charlie up the ground and, and create a bit more separation and maybe utilize the smalls in creating space in forward 50? And I, I may be surprised we didn't look to do that, but maybe it is what we what we found late in this game from that Motlop goal onwards where you go, okay, if they're pushing back deep, that means they're spaced somewhere else. So let's utilize that. And that was on that arc of that 50. And from our midfield pushing forward and really using our work rate and quick ball out from that congestion pushing forward. So I think that that's kind of what we've got to do. And Jack Martin was big pushing forward and being pushing higher up the ground and creating contests for us. It's difficult. No, Harry makes things tough for us. So, yeah, I think it's either maybe seeing what can happen if Charlie moves up the ground and does that create something else? Does that create more space for a TDK if Charlie's getting a bit more influence higher up or do we keep him deep and go, okay, it's another week of of them stopping Charlie. Let's look to utilize the space that he's going to be elsewhere. Where's the other out number and how can we utilize it? But I'm not sure there's going to be many teams that play the way St. Kilda did because I think that them stopping Charlie cost them the game of football. They were set up way too defensively. I can see why they beat teams, but you set that man behind the ball. All your focus is going on stopping the other team and you're only getting really anything and generating scores off turnover. You're just not going to win games of football like that. Uh, next question comes in from Soros Boy, who says, I've seen a lot of people unhappy with Fisher. Thought he played really well. What did you make of his game? And uh, spoiler for the votes, Lockie, I got his votes. I tracked him down over in Europe. He's having an absolutely great time with another fan of the podcast, uh, alumni. He's been a guest, uh, Big J-Rob, uh, both having a great time over in Europe. So shout out to those two. Wish they were both here, able to enjoy this. Almost wish they were here just for that, but at least they're able to celebrate the wins a little bit better than us. We're in gloomy Melbourne. They're in some sunshine, enjoying the beach. But we both loved Fisher. We gave him the one vote uh, this week, 32 disposals at 84%. Look, I just, as I said, he was one of the shining lights earlier on the game and had a massive four-quarter performance. Every single quarter fish was there, was vital in getting us going early. And, and then when the game was there to be won, I thought he was still playing good football. And the big knock on fish has kind of been, if we aren't playing well, guess what? Fish doesn't play well. That's kind of been the rhetoric. Bit of downhill skier is kind of where we've seen things, I guess, a little bit with fish, but proved us wrong in this game completely. Liked him off halfback. He was generating the movement. Had some defensive deficiencies. I think he let Higgins um, get free a few times. But look, without Govan defense, like I've touched on, he added 
the ball movement that we were desperate for. And I thought he played a massive role in our win. Four clearances, four marks, three tackles, 21 pressure acts, four rebound 50s. I loved Fisher's game. Going to be interesting to see how we use him going forward, whether we push him more into the midfield to create the movement and the pace there with still no Chera and no Walsh and, and maybe Boyd coming in to take that spot in defense, but he's not getting dropped after that. And it's kind of an exciting thing that a guy like him, a guy like a Motlop, a guy like, I guess you could say a Fogarty, guys that weren't in our best 22 or they'd gotten dropped and made to play in the VFL have come back. And the competition for spots right now is massive. We're playing for something. We're playing for finals. These, some of these guys are playing for their careers, playing for their spot at Carlton. And it's good to see every single one of these guys so far step up. You get worried that maybe the mental attitude for a few of these guys, Dow's the big one as well. Can't believe I almost forgot him there where you can almost, you know, allow them and accept them to say, no, nah, screw it. Doesn't matter. They don't want me. I'm not first choice. I'm going to be somewhere else next year, potentially screw it. But Credit to him for digging in and, and still believing in this task, believing that whatever happens at the end of the season happens, still a Carlton player, let's go. I'm going to do everything possible to say, no, this is my spot. I'm not going anywhere. So, yeah, I absolutely loved Fisher's game. I uh, got a question from Roland Kessels who says, what's more exciting, the last few wins or the fact that we have elite talent waiting to come back in? Also, he asked a comment here, which is a beautiful one. Clearly, the small forward mix has been perfect recently. Where does it leave the likes of players like a, a Durden? Feels like there's a real urgency for holding spots in this team. Uh, first question, I will say, I'll say the wins. Like, it is exciting that we've got the talent waiting there. But to win the way we have, to beat the informed team of the competition, Collingwood, and they're a rabble at the moment, you know, like all of a sudden they lose to Hawthorne. They've got some injuries. God forbid Collingwood get an injury and they can't cope and they're sooking and they're still whinging about the Carlton game. Absolutely love to see it. Uh, so it's probably the wins for me. This, this week was big. To do it with the injuries, everything that then happened in-game, yeah, that's – that – and knowing what this team can do now, that's that's the exciting part. Uh, and then the f the small forwards, that's that's exciting. It's interesting. It means Durden's got to really put in, and we've seen a lot from Durden. I think we all still believe that there's a really good player there. He's someone that brings the pressure. He has those magic moments too. He's kicked some really really exciting goals. It just means he's not first choice right now and he's got to work for it. And at some stage, there's going to be an opportunity. He has to take it. I think this depth, the fact that everyone's playing well, means the competition for spots. We're going to see these players be better. Every single player is lifted because of it. And I think that that's the positive. Next one comes in from Mark DT, who asks, thoughts on March Bank? Is he just really rusty or is he, has he completely lost a step of pace? Seems really slow in movement and decision-making. Yeah, it wasn't the best game from Marchie. Don't like singling out players in a really well-rounded team performance that got us a victory, but definitely someone I noticed that looked a bit off the pace just a few times, got the ball, and look, their manic pressure, St. Kilda, was really, really good. Absolute credit to them. They bought the heat. And sometimes Marchie wasn't able to handle that. He sort of felt like thought he had an extra second and didn't, gets tackled. 
and loses possession of the ball a few times, turn over, turned the ball over, made some mistakes. He was scrappy. Thought he worked his way into the game, though. By the end, definitely was playing better football quarter by quarter. I'd like to say he's just rusty. It's a bloke that has not played a lot of football in the in the last few years. Yeah, it sometimes it takes a little bit of time to adjust to the pace. We're able to allow him to play a little bit. What's the word? It's not unaccountable, but we're able to hide him a little bit more, knowing that Gov's taking that main lockdown and he's able to roll off a little bit, little bit less responsibility. <clears throat> this week against the Saints has to be that second key defender, and maybe that jump happened a little too soon without that AFL match fitness, match readiness, adjust to the pace. I think it's too early to tell. It was really strong for us at the back end last season, playing a few games. I uh, don't reckon he's lost a pace. I reckon it's just a bit of rustiness. Let's let's cut him a little bit of slack in a good win. But I, I'm, I really appreciate the question there, Mark, because I did think he was a little bit off the pace. Uh, one from Tracy Reed, who this is a banger of a question. This is my favorite question of the week. Says, is there any weakness that you see in our game plan? And if you can answer this question, if you see anything, drop it in the comments on YouTube at Navy Blue Corner if you're listening to this in podcast form. Drop us a follow. Drop us a subscribe if you don't want to miss out on the content. For the rest of the season, I'll be getting the guests in each week to help me. It won't just be a solo pod. I just felt this was fitting and I was struggling to organize anything knowing that I was sick and and just couldn't. Didn't know when I was going to record this thing. Um, But yes, that's just a bit of update on what's happening for the rest of the year as far as the podcast is concerned and yes i'm stalling to try and think of an answer on this question because right now game plan wise it does not feel like there is any it feels like it's a personnel thing right now we don't have our best midfielders we don't have our second best key forward we don't have our second best key defender Issues seem to be all personnel. Like even the other issue this week, I thought Pitonet struggled in the ruck again. Just doesn't offer a lot outside of the ruck contest. We're kind of burnt for that. Marshall gets his goal early because of that. And we looked better with a Jack Silvani type being that second ruck. And as soon as DeConing, massive third quarter, massive last quarter from him, every time he was in that ruck contest, we looked a better side from what he was just able to add around the stoppages, a ball on the ground. So I don't know. Maybe that's the issue, but maybe that's a personnel thing because defensively the structure's been there. Now it looks like mentally we're able to move the ball well. The contested side of the game's there. I think that that stands up because you look at finals, you look at the way grand finals are played, heavy contested, heavy pressure. You look, you see our tackle numbers have been high every single week. Forward line has looked good with the pressure and the way we've been able to move it. It's been questioned a little bit with the lack of height down there, the lack of versatility. I think this week you see that, but (coughs) sorry, this is me. I'm sick. I'm struggling through this podcast, but I think that's the only issue. And again, I don't think it's game plan. So I don't know. Right now it feels like with the buy-in, with the commitment, the selflessness, the work rate, this is it. And it just, it's a matter of, How fit can we be? How do we go when the moment's there? Can we have a bit of luck? I don't know. How far can we go? Why not us? That's how I'm looking at it right now. Why not us? 
Uh, but great question, Tracy. Uh, got one from Jap Jules who says, what a great win. Showed so much character. My question is, if Walsh is ready to come back, who gets dropped? Surely Fisher and Dow have to be retained. And <clears throat> great question. There's so many different magnet moves you can do. Um, I don't know. I haven't thought about this heaps. I'm keen to kind of delve into this in the next few weeks, particularly on the selection table on Pommy and Oz's YouTube channel, where weekly we go through the team changes. And as soon as we get these guys fit, we'll be having to do this. And I don't know, rudely maybe to, to a Cottrell is there. Is he one of those guys that potentially makes way that allows, say, a Walsh to move into the midfield, a Doc to move out, back to a wing, rotation, half-back rotation. It's tough. Like, Dow is probably that midfielder that goes if we're doing a straight swap, which feels really rough after that week. But I don't know. I think Dow goes another week. I'm not sure Walsh is ready to go. And knowing what we're doing right now, what we're able to do with this crop and thinking right now, my head is we're playing finals football I want to I want to win a bloody grand final this year. I want Walshy, and so I don't want to risk him. So I think it's another week of Dow, definitely another week of Fisher. We'll see how they play, get a bigger sample size. But yeah, unfortunately, I think if we're losing a midfielder, if Cher and Walsh are in, then Dow's out, unfortunately. I just think that that's – you need your best players, and he's that next rung below. But then you start to make moves elsewhere. Where does Jordan Boyd fit into this? Let me know your thoughts in the comments at Navy Blue Corner. What's the team look like if a Walshy does come back in? I uh, got two more questions for you. One from MP says, I believe they know what it takes to beat Melbourne Saturday night. And if they do, how many people in the crowd will be shedding tears of joy slash relief? And, and that's it. Like I touched on what that moment meant last year of like beating Melbourne and, and nailing finals. And I will say this week, daddy is back in town. Unfortunately, we're not able to go to the game. We can blame my sister for this. It's her 30th birthday. And actually, no, I won't blame her. I'll blame the AFL fixturing because we had to book a venue. We had to book all that for the party. And it looked like at this stage, when you saw the fixture, we were probably going to play on a Friday night. Prime time, get it done. So we booked for the Saturday night venue. All of a sudden, Carlton start playing like shit. They don't give us the prime time Friday night. They give us the Saturday. And all of a sudden, I can't go to the game. But dad and I will have the KO up somewhere. We'll be finding a TV uh, to, to watch this game, to be updated. And so it's still maybe I can get that moment of nailing finals, getting that tick of approval and still having that moment. So I think that the tears of joy to do it again against a team that ripped it away from us last year that often we forget about. We put it all on Collingwood. Melbourne did it to us just as much. So I believe too, and I think that they'll just be – Oh, my God. Imagine. Let's go undefeated into finals. Let's just not lose for the rest of the season. I love it. I love the positivity, Jules. Uh, sorry, Em. Uh, last one comes from Paul Barbaza, who says, how excited are you? And did the pills kick in? And I'm glad he did ask this question because I'd mentioned, I had a, sent a WhatsApp into our group chat at halftime when I was feeling crook. I was feeling ill, saying, I pumped myself full of cold and flu pills for this shit. <laughs> and then literally straight after the game, I replied straight to my own message and said, thank fuck I did. And honestly, I touched on it, 
saying at halftime, I felt like trash. I felt every bit of the illness. I could feel the headache, the nose, the throat started to hurt. Mate, that last quarter, when Dow kicks that goal and I lost my voice, I felt like I could have bloody ran a marathon. I felt, apart from literally losing my voice and, and having that a physical effect, I felt a million bucks. Yeah, I wouldn't have known that I was sick. That's just what this club does. The mood after that game, I was ready to party like nothing else. And that's the, I don't know if the pills kicked in. Maybe you don't need cold and flu pills. You just need Carlton to be good at football again. I mean, that's my take out of this. Uh, they are the wonder drug that is absolutely free. I love this football club. And yeah, very excited because that was the test. That was the last thing I had for this group. And they've managed to do it in the best way possible against an opposition that I absolutely can't stand. And look, I, I don't know if I'm going to go there. It looks like I'm going to do it now, but their chance, like I'm all for bringing in the English football side of things and bringing a bit of the soccer chance to the table. But my God, they are some of the worst, cringiest chants I've ever seen. And I don't want to single out anyone, but there is one bloke who starts them that, oh, they're just bad. And it, the worst thing is they haven't caught on. It's these 10 blokes in the stands trying to get it going. It's just the cringiest shit ever. I love it because the Saints are such a nothing football club that good luck. Your 10 fans can have your chant. Guess what? Knock fucking knock you're still shit st kilda go to bed um but yeah there's my drive-by fuck st kilda absolutely can't stand him. nothing football club but the votes Lockie and i we may be hours apart we may be thousands and thousands of kilometers away but we're in sync again we're identical with our votes it's like he never left we gave the one to fisher we gave the two to Blake Akers and the three went to Nick Bloody Newman. 35 disposals at 89%, 13 marks, 10 intercept possessions, four score involvements, six rebound 50s, six inside 50s. The man did everything defensively, worked his ass off, and then just generated everything for us going forward. He is genuinely becoming one of my favorite players right now he's unbelievable and what does that mean for the current vote tally at the end of round 21 because those who got the last voting update the count i stuffed up i was incorrect on my vote tally i realized that i had missed a couple of Lockie's votes which would have meant that in some games where an individual player might have got a three two and a one they only got that Times one, whereas in other games, other players were able to get it for the two of us. So I've gone back, I've retabulated, I've got the proper vote count, and this is the current standings for the Navy Blue Corner MVP medal in sixth place on 14 votes is Jacob Wietering. There is one vote that separates sixth and fifth in fifth place. Because of this week, it is Blake Akers on 15. It is very tight for that fifth place in a tie for third because we're skipping fourth. It is on 25 votes, Nick Newman and S. Walsh on 25 coming in at a tied third. It's still possible, maybe. I don't know. I can't do my maths. 
But between second and first, this is where the big battle is headed. In second, with 35 votes, C. Kerno, which means leading at the moment. He may not play another game for the regular season, but he is currently leading in number one spot on 41 votes. Adam Chera, can he hold on? That is going to be the tale of this season. Very exciting. Very close for once. I feel like all the other seasons, it's been a blowout. Number one has got it by a mile. So good to have a bit more of a closer contest. And look, that win was big. Context of our season, we needed a win. But the attention turns to Melbourne. It's going to be tough in great form. They potentially get Oliver back. Well, it looks like we still probably have a couple of weeks before we get our boys to return. And, and all that I will get into later this week in our match build-up show. It's going to be there. I'm going to record it probably Friday. So it'll probably be out some stage Friday. Definitely be out Saturday for anyone getting to the game. If you're on the train, if you're driving, wherever you are, listen to the build-up show. Get yourself pumped for a big win over Melbourne. But look, three games left to the regular season to go. One win needed to lock in finals. And I love the rhetoric right now from all the Cullen supporters that I'm seeing. It's not one win for finals because that's what it was last year. Four weeks to go. It was, we need one win. This year, let's win them all. Let's go. It is three of our last three because we've matured as fans. The players have matured. This is a new Carlton this is the Carlton of now, the 2023 Blues that don't take shit. Doesn't matter who's injured. We get the job done. I'm pumped. There's, I'm sick. Can we, can we absolutely cancel the talk of lid off of the Blues are back? Mate, Blues are here. There is no lid. It doesn't matter. The Blues are bloody going deep into finals. We're getting the job done. Let me know your thoughts on everything I've covered in this episode head over to the socials at Navy Blue Corner to let me know. Follow, like the episode wherever you're listening. Get your comments in on YouTube. Oh, there's the plugs. Lockie will be very, very happy with that one. But yeah, subscribe, follow to stay up to date so you never miss an episode. But that is wrapping up this episode. I absolutely love this one. Favorite win of the season. Fuck St. Kilda. Up the baggers. See you guys next time.